and welcome to the Faith Seeking Understanding podcast. I'm Roland, this is Matt, and we are busy going through wisdom in the Old Testament. We just finished the book of Proverbs, and so now we're heading over to the much easier book of Ecclesiastes. Much easier, sure. Much, easier, yeah. <laughs> much more simple, much more straightforward. Totally. Um, yeah. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. I, let me tell you a story about Ecclesiastes. So the I got really fascinated by this book in 2009. Um, I was in grade 10. You were great. <laughs> I was in my gap year. I was in London and the guy who had been helping me out, like understand, like read the Bible more and, you know, like really get into Bible handling and so on, Andrew Satch, he was doing a sermon series on Ecclesiastes. And uh, I remember the first sermon, the you know, the first sermon in the series, he was like, I have no idea what this book is about. <laughs> That's um, right. But I know that this so word... inspire confidence in your congregation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, but as soon as he said that, of course, my interest was piqued. I was like, what, what is this book? That yes. the guy who's taught me how to read the Bible is like happy to say, yeah. I have no idea what's going on. That's um, and uh, I remember in the first sermon, he was basically like, which is going to be the topic of this first uh, episode. It's like, I don't know what's going on, but I know this word hevel is really important. And so let's just talk about hevel for the next right. while. And then we... Um, we go with the that's what we did yeah um how, do, how have you come across ecclesiastes well the first the first memory i've got of ecclesiastes is i just got a new bible um and i was like now like with this new bible like i was excited to read it and i just kind of went through the contents pages like Ecclesiastes, I've never read that one before. Let me just read it. <laughs> and I read through thinking, mm, this is really thought-provoking. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> and then I finished the book, moved on to something else, and forgot about it. Yeah. And didn't think about it again for for quite some time. Um, and then on a youth camp one year, there was um, one, of the, one of the talks that was given. The It was one of the, there was like the main series, which was on something else. I forget what now. Um, but then there was a smaller series where and one of the other speakers got up and did like a single talk on the whole of Ecclesiastes, a single talk on the whole of Esther and a single talk on the whole of, I forget what the other book was. Um, and he brought along this spray bottle and um, <laughs> at each point along the way, he would, well, at a bunch of points along the way, he was like, and it's and vapor, mist. And I forget everything else that he said in that talk, but, <laughs> but that's not good. That, that left an impression. Um, and then, um, I guess more recently, thinking, I was busy in my honours year at, at college. Um, I was doing my honours on, on Proverbs. Um, and I was sitting um, with my supervisor, talking about the future, talking about PhD and the fact that I'm thinking in that direction and thinking about what, uh, what my topic would be, where I'd want to focus. And he was like, are you sure you just want to do Proverbs? Like, don't you want to branch out a little bit? Um, and I kind of thought, well, yeah, that seems like a good idea. What, where would I, where would I want to branch out? Ecclesiastes seems like a, um, yeah, it's not too far. Yeah. Still in the in the in this category that we've been dealing with. Yeah, so I could sort of branch out from being a proverbs guy to being a wisdom guy. You know that you know that might be a good way to go. So I started checking it out. We'd already had some conversations by that point on Ecclesiastes. I sort of knew that this was a book that you were really fascinated by. Um, but I kind of like, I'd read it and thought, yeah, no, I, I can see that. 
I'm going to stick with Proverbs for now. <laughs> and just like, as I started working through it, I started reading um, uh, George Athos's commentary on it and getting a, a bit of a sense of what's, what's going on in this book and thinking, okay, wow, <laughs> here we go. Um, this is a lot more interesting than I'd expected. You know, maybe it was, that was just a timing thing, but like, this is like really grabbing my attention now. And I think this is going to, this is going to prove to be quite the mind bender. Mm. I think what's, what's interesting about Ecclesiastes, like with Proverbs, you'd obviously read Proverbs and you checked out some of Proverbs, but like not to the same degree, you know, I've done an honors thesis. I'm busy with a PhD in Proverbs. Um, that that's a bit of a funny point. Like having thought, like maybe I'm going to include Ecclesiastes in my in my PhD dissertation. Then it worked out that I didn't have space, and I'm mm. just doing Proverbs. I'm just going to be the Proverbs guy. Um, but uh, with Ecclesiastes, I've actually done quite a bit of work leading up to that. I've actually done quite a bit of work in Ecclesiastes. So this is going to be quite an interesting conversation or interesting set of conversations that actually both of us have checked this book out. Mm. You a lot more than I have, but also from a less technical standpoint, I've just like studied it a lot but i haven't gone as much into the literature or to the hebrew as you have so it's i think there's something to be said for time spent though sure. um but what's interesting is that we've we've both we both checked this book out independently of each other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and come to i think some slightly different con uh, conclusions on some things it's going to be interesting to see how some of that comes out right in our conversations but that's actually worth pointing out i think one of the things that makes ecclesiastes such a a uh, scary book, I guess, or a tricky book to engage with is not only is it difficult for, you know, you, on your first reading to understand what's going on, but like the scholarship itself is indicative of like yeah. not really knowing what to do with it. Like, I mean, in a lot of books, you know, if I think of Leviticus, right, um, people can agree, the scholars agree generally about like, there's some pretty big points that they agree on about Leviticus. Maybe they disagree on how it's structured or the exact like emphases that are being placed on certain parts of it. Like, you know, is the Day of Atonement central or is this other thing central or whatever. Hmm. But like in general, there's like high level agreement on like the broad theology, the broad yeah. points that are hit. In Ecclesiastes, it's just like no agreement whatsoever. You'll find, uh, you'll find people who can't even agree whether the main voice in the book, uh, Kohelet, uh, the teacher or the preacher, can't even agree whether he's orthodox or not. Like some people, a non, a non negligible amount of people think that like he's actually just being put forward as a sort of um, an example of how not to do wisdom. Yeah. Um, as like a cautionary not tale. To think, yeah. yeah. Um, which is just like mind boggling, right? Yeah. Like the amount of um, the level of disagreement yeah. uh, is just insane. Although I will say, I think one thing that I think you find a lot of agreement on is that people, well, people struggle to think of it in terms of a well-structured book. Sure. Which yeah. I'm going to challenge uh, in the, not this episode, not the next episode, but the episode after that, I, I'll put forward my proposal of how I think we should think about the structure of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's wild how yeah. you could, you never know what people are going to say. They can't, they can't agree. Is it a philosophical work? Is it a political commentary? Is it a bit yeah. of both? Like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> what? everybody does seem to agree on is that Hevel is really important. Yeah. Yeah. What is Hevel? And it, it's worth, I mean, yeah. So why do they agree on that? Yeah. Well, the book starts with the word Hevel. So it's this word, if you're, depending on the translation you're reading, you'll get a different word. So if you're reading in the ESV, 
um, it says vanity of vanities in one verse two. Um, everything, all is vanity, right? If you read in the NIV, it'll say meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Um, if you read in the NET, it'll be like futile, futile. Everything is futile. How does it go with futile? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, NET is interesting. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that because that's got a different, it's got a different philosophy to how to translate the word. Sure. The book also ends on those very words. So after, you know, the, the teacher or the preacher or Kahelet uh, is finished uh, talking, um, he ends on those very same words. So that's presumably why, I mean, at least in the beginning, if it's your opening and your closing thought, it's got to be an, uh, an important piece to understand in terms of like what's going on. Mm. Um, the challenge, of course, is that we don't really, there's a lot of discussion on how to translate it. So there's not much discussion on its literal meaning. Like we know what it literally means. It's used um, throughout the Bible. Um, although I think you pointed out to me that it, half the usages of it, of it in the Old Testament are in Ecclesiastes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's like close, wild. Close to half. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess you get, yeah, you artificially increase your word count when you're just like doubling it up in the beginning and the end of your book. But uh... <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got um, Hevel, Hevel uh, says the teacher, um, Hevel, Hevel, everything is Hevel. <laughs> you've got yeah. five just right there. Just right at the beginning. And then uh, a similar sort of thing toward the end. So that's the so that's the word then. The Hebrew word is hevel. Yeah. And uh it means literally something like vapor, breath, or mist. Like the um my youth leader spray bottle. Like a youth leader spray bottle, yeah, yeah. which is why your youth leader was doing that, right? Yeah. It's like and you spray the thing, you could see it there, yeah. and like but then it disappears very quickly. Um A lot of the rest of his talk disappeared very quickly from my yeah, mind. Yeah, from your mind, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So that's the literal meaning, but then the question becomes, okay, how, given that that's the literal meaning, how does the, the preacher, the teacher, Kahelet, uh, use it um, throughout the book to sort of, oh, what's he drawing attention to in reality? Yeah. And how is he using that metaphor, that image, to draw attention to it? Because mm. the word isn't, presumably we can't just assume that the word is completely disconnected from, uh, the, the usage is completely disconnected from its uh, literal sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's clearly using it in a semi-technical way. Um, and so then it's like, oh, we need to figure out what's going on there. Yeah. We should probably come to an agreement with what we're going to call him. So his name is Kohelet, or his ti- the title given to him is Kohelet. That's also the book's name in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Um, but then our different translations will translate her- that differently. So I see here the ESV calls it preacher. Are you looking at the NIV here? Uh, this is the CSB says teacher, the NIV... Also says teacher. teacher. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the Hebrew word, uh, kohelet, um, so I should write this one. You've got, um, the Hebrew word there. Um, you don't actually have to be able to read Hebrew for this part. Don't worry. <laughs> um, you can just trust me on this. If you can't read Hebrew, that says kohelet. Let's just put in the vowels for you. Um, what, um, what we can say about the word Kohelet, or the name Kohelet, is that it comes from this Hebrew root. Um, Kohelet? Kahal. Kahal. Okay. Um, which means um, to gather, to congregate, mm. um, to bring together. When to you, collect. When you bring an assembly together. Okay. Um, that That's quite a... Um, I mean, you see that in Deuteronomy, Moses brings together the assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, of of God's people and addresses them. So that's what we've got. We've got 
the guy who assembles the people. Um, oh, so he's like someone getting up on a stage or a soapbox, and uh... yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the way we could think about him. So I like just calling him Kohelet, yeah. just because we don't really have much of a <laughs> preacher or teacher. Doesn't like you can see how you can get to preacher or teacher from somebody who gathers the assembly. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think that that's it. It's it's not like a direct line to from Kohelet to preacher yeah. or teacher. It sort of takes an extra step in between. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one recent commentator, he just calls him Congregationalist. <laughs> Not the Congregationalist, he just, capital C, oh, Congregationalist. Interesting. But he's he sort of does this with, with the books that he writes commentaries on. Okay. Um, I seem to, I haven't read it myself, but I seem to think his recent Genesis commentary as well. Um, he doesn't call Eve, Eve. He calls, like, just transliterates the Hebrew. Okay. Um, and like calls it Chava or whatever. Um, that's just a thing he does. But but anyway, um, my vote would be to just go with Kohelet. Kohelet. Okay. Um, and I'll probably mispronounce him. Uh, I always say Kolehet. Oh, I, I not always, but I I switch. I get confused. Quite often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will try my best to say his name his name correctly. Um, Okay, so we're going to call him Kahelet. I also, I mean, we, it's best, we're going to talk about the translation of the word Hevel now. Mm. But I think at the end of the day, we're just going to refer, to, we're just going to use the word Hevel. Yeah. Because I think really the best thing you can do when it comes to any sort of treaties like you have here, even in the form of it is, especially when you can see that the author is trying to move beyond like a, a limiting meaning of something to mm. try and make a point. Yeah. Um, you want to let his discourse um, kind of define the word itself, the yeah. way that he uses it throughout. And so you kind of say, okay, I'm going to give it the label Hevel and I'm, I'm going to have like a vague sense of what that means. And then it's going to get a more precise sense the more I engage with the way that he uses the word. Yeah. We actually get this in like, uh, this is a common thing. So, I mean, Aristotle, for instance, when he introduces his full matter um, distinction, hmm. there's no Hebrew word, sorry, there's no Greek word um, for matter in the way that we have it today, where it's just this like, underlying the thing underlying all physical stuff mm. right uh that's in in greek there's no word like that so he had to use another word he used the word for wood right and it was like that's the you know wood is malleable you can turn it into a bed you can turn it into a shelf or whatever mm. and so it kind of has the same vibe um push the limits of that meaning of, yeah. of that word's meaning yeah but when he says like you know we're you and me are made out of former matter he, he doesn't for a second think that we're made out of wood yeah. He's clearly trying to go beyond that to to get his point. Yeah. Um, and so now it's, you know, when we translate it these days, uh, we translate it as matter or underlying thing or something to kind of get at the... And I think we should treat Hevel in the same way, where yeah. we recognize the, the connection it has to the metaphor that he's trying to use, mm. but then as far as possible, let him define it in his own usage of it. Yeah. That said, it can be useful to discuss some of the translations that come in, that have come up yeah. And why they may be more or less helpful in the way that we deal with it. Yeah, in the same sense that, you know, we don't just, you know, when reading Aristotle, we don't just translate it. We don't just use the Greek word for wood, wood and yeah. just leave it as is. Like, we yeah. do need to have some some idea of um, what meaning he attached to it. And yeah. so we want to go on the same quest to see what meaning Kohelet attached to the word Hevel. Right. So let's get, let's dig into that. So what does Hevel mean? Um, well... He didn't exactly come in with a blank slate. So Hevel, I mean, like you mentioned a moment ago, 
Kohelet isn't the first one to use Hevel in the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it does have a fair number of usages before um, before Ecclesiastes came along. Um, pretty much every time it's used, it's used metaphorically. Okay. Um, but to talk about something being insubstantial, talk about something being um, maybe transitory or fleeting or transient. Um, how does yeah. that... That's like your breath, you know, you can say, like, you could think of that. I mean, those are very well connected to the idea of breath or, or mist, right? Like yeah. when you spray the, the water bottle and you see the droplets, they disappear within seconds. Or yeah. you think of the the vapor that comes out of, uh, in the air after you've showered or something, right? And yeah. then it, it disappears almost as quickly as it appeared. And um, or the breath that you have, like on a cold day when you can see your breath, mm. like it disappears very quickly. Like you can see how that yeah. is a very intuitive way of thinking about it it's it's there i think there's a weirdness in it right because it's like it's there it's got some kind of body but then it disappears so quickly that it's like well what what was it it's not like a a rock that stays there yeah um yeah so so you say it's often used uh in a metaphorical sense to pretty much always used in a metaphorical sense um but usually with insubstantial or transient as right. your sort of main meanings throughout the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Yeah, the tricky thing with uh, that, if we just took that specifically, is that it doesn't necessarily attach, it doesn't work in all the cases it uses it in um, in Ecclesiastes. Like, mm. we couldn't just say, he's saying transient, transient, everything is transient. Yeah, um, I mean, Fredericks tries to do that. Yeah? He's, I think, might even have been his PhD. Um, he's His book is called Coping with Transients. And oh. He he brings it into his um, his commentary on Ecclesiastes that he tries to make the case that yes, transient, transient, everything is transient is exactly what we should say. Okay. Kohelet is saying. Right. Okay. So, what do we think about the word transient? I, I write. Let's just go through some of them and see uh, what the problem with them is. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think about the word transient? I mean. There's, I think we should recognize there are some aspects where it fits fairly neatly, right? Like he sure. wants to talk about the fact that you're going to die and be forgotten. Mm. And so in, in yeah. some sense, your life is transient. Um, yeah. We see a similar idea in the New Testament where he talks about like um, men are like flowers that fade and die forever or something like that. Um, yeah, in um, Ecclesiastes 6, um, 6 verse 12, indeed, who knows what good there is for humanity in life except to count the days of their transient life maybe mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. a hevel life um and their actions like a shadow um when who can tell humanity what the end will be for humanity under the sun um mm-hmm. you can sort of see counting days um compared with a shadow which is also quite often used as a um a metaphor for something fleeting in the old testament mm-hmm, the way mm-hmm. that those things are associated sure there's an intuitive intuitiveness um about that um I don't know that it works so well for, for some other places, like maybe chapter 8. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this too is Hevel, that there isn't a sentence made quickly for evil deeds, so people's hearts are set on doing evil, because one who sins does what is evil a hundred times, and yet his life is prolonged, though still I know that it should go well for those who fear God, mm-hmm. uh, simply because they fear him. Um, I don't know, there, there seems to be a bit of a a bit of a tension there. I guess there might be a way that you could explain it, but the fact that he says, this is transient, that the wicked live long. Mm. Yeah, there's a similar thing in 7 verse 15. He says, in my heaven-filled life, I've seen everything. 
there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Yeah. If he had start, if he had ended with just the righteous man perishing in his righteousness, you could be like, cool. I can see how that's pointing tr- transience and righteousness can't help you escape that. Yeah. But he's not, that's not his point. His point is that despite his righteousness, he perishes. Mm. And despite the wickedness of the wicked man, he prolongs his life, which is the opposite of transience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not a great fit for transient. Not a, no, not a great fit. <laughs> Another, so we, we raised uh, two common ones in this. So the ESV is vanity. Um, well, it's connected to futility as well. Vain is, kind of, vain is a weird word, I and mean, we don't use it that very often, but I think yeah. it's when you say, I do something in vain. Yeah, rather um, than somebody being vain, they think too much of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, the idea of what doing something in vain, what does that kind of connote? It's like uh, doing something and it wasn't worth it in the end. Yeah. You spend a lot of effort in something and then it turns out to be for nothing. Yeah, it's not too far off from from insubstantial. It's coming at it from a slightly different angle, but something that doesn't amount too much. Yeah. Yeah, it's the product of your work that's insubstantial rather than like your life or something that's insubstantial. Yeah, so insubstantial um, would be that the the result didn't amount to much, whereas something vain, the the effort that you put in didn't serve. Uh, yeah. Didn't serve a great purpose. Right. Okay. So that's, that's one. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of connected to futile. Mm. It's futile to pursue these things because they won't, won't end up in anything. Uh, what do you think about that? Again, I'm not sure that it gels very well with what we saw in chapter seven and eight. Maybe I'm just short circuiting here, but yeah, no, you're right. Um, I mean, if we say. He's, he's kind of pointing to a puzzle in seven, right? He's saying like, there's the right, it doesn't happen to the righteous as it should, and it doesn't happen to the wicked as it should. Hmm. But where's the vanity in that? Right. Like, I mean, if anything, the wicked's, the wicked person's life there is not vain because he's hmm. prolonging it. Uh, maybe you could say it's, again, if, if it was just the righteousness aspect of it, if he was just saying, oh, it's, you know, the righteous person perishes in his righteousness, you could say, oh, that was a vain pursuit. Right. Yeah. But when he then also, at the, in the same breath, uh, he um, well said. Thank you. Uh, he says like, and the wicked prolong. It's like, okay, no, that's not. He's not highlighting vanity there. He's highlighting something else. Mm. But it's difficult to say what exactly that is. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other passages that you can think of off the top of your head? I don't think so. I mean, for for vanity, one that does seem to work well is um, chapter two when he's talking about his. Um, all his achievements, and then kind of coming to the end of that and saying, "Well, that didn't seem to go very far." But um, <laughs> but I think that's probably the best that you can do with vanity. Um, yeah, with this one, with this one, connect with vanity. Uh, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is heaven and a striving after wind. I don't know that I'd want to connect that with vanity. Um, Maybe you could. The way that that verse is often understood is that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That take what you've got rather than exert yourself for something that you don't have because you might well find that what you don't have, you'll never have. Yeah. Um, Enjoy what you have while you have it. So better to enjoy those things than to go after these vain pursuits. Mm, mm. could see how maybe it, it, it could work there. But there I think, you once again, you're highlighting one aspect of it 
So what's Hevel is not the pursuit of the wandering of the eyes. What's Hevel is that it's better to have what you have than to pursue something with your eyes, mm. with your desire, which is like the whole thing is Hevel, not just this or that part of it, you know? Um, and so vanity is in there somewhere, but not necessarily the, the exact thing he's trying to draw attention to. Yeah. The other, I mean, the other thing to consider is sort of touched on a moment ago, the difference between vanity and, and, and substantial if vanity has to do with the effort and insubstantial to do with the, the product, um, I think insubstantial actually would work better for, say, um, 506 or 07. The Hebrew and the English are a little bit different, only in chapter 5, fortunately. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go with the English ones because that's where people are going to be looking in their Bibles. So I think then verse 7. Um, <laughs> But it could also be verse five. I'm not really sure. I'm I'm looking at a, a translation that's come directly from the Hebrew. Um, but uh, on account of many dreams, hevels, and many words, like that. that let's maybe get that in context. Oh, five verse. Yeah, that's five or seven. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there's hevel. Yeah. But God is the one you must fear. He's talking about the case where you make a vow to God. And he's saying, don't delay in paying it. Yeah. Why would you, why, like, why would you, you know, speak a bunch and like make these grand promises and then like only to end up making God angry at you by not like fulfilling them? Mm. Why should God be angry because of your voice and ruin the deeds of your hands on account of many dreams, hevels and many words? So fear God. It, it seems to be that what, what he's talking about there, it, it seems more like the, the thing rather than the effort towards the thing to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just as the words are, the, are what come out of your mouth, um, the mists there would, would be the potentially the result of your effort. Um, so in that sense, it would be something insubstantial mm-hmm. rather than something vain. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what makes more sense to me on... Um, as I read this verse. Okay, so we're not happy with that either. We're not, not too happy with transience. We're not too happy with vanity and futility. They're getting at something. So yeah. they're, they're, right, they're definitely fit some cases. Other cases, not so much. Yeah. Interestingly, the NET has a, a, an approach to this, um, which is different to many of the other ones, or many of the other translations, where they, will, they don't have a single translation for the word. Oh, interesting. So they'll give different translations throughout the book, um, depending on what they consider to be the 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 like okay. weight of the usage right um in some senses in some ways that's a good a good way to go like you're highlighting um what you think the significance of it is mm. in another way you're kind of obscuring the the argument of Kahalet, right because he's using one word for all of these things he yeah. clearly sees a unified phenomenon underlying all of these different usages but you're using these completely different words in mm-hmm. different contexts and it's like well you're missing you're missing the thing that he's trying to get across to you yeah um so it's helpful in one sense i think it's definitely helpful if it's just a book you need to read as part of your bible reading plan you're not sure. going to like really sit down and think about it as as hard as you can yeah um but if you're trying to get at exactly what kohelet is getting at mm. uh i don't know if i'm a huge fan of that approach it sort of undercuts when he says that everything is hevel right it seems to undercut that a bit yeah 
Yeah, because it's like everything is. Yeah, yeah. Because it's quantifying over everything yeah. and saying it's this one thing. Yeah. But what you're doing when you translate these different words, you're like, well, some things are this, some things are this, some things yeah. are this, and it's like, okay, well, that's not really what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the last one that I'm familiar with uh, that is the NIV is it says meaningless or absurd. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two. Yeah. So meaningless and absurd might fit together, and that they both sound like. They come from existentialism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, absurd is quite famously argued for by Michael Fox. Um, but meaningless is probably one of the more well-known ones. It's in the NIV, the NLT. Um, Trample Longman's a big proponent of, of meaningless. What do you think? Well, um, I'm not a huge fan of them precisely because of the existentialist baggage. Right. We, like, we, we have given meaning... <laughs> To these two ideas uh, and the existentialist sort of outlook on life project, its relation to ethics is just, I don't want to say it's brand new, but it's very individualistic, somewhat, it's not always secular, but like, you know, somewhat secular. Um, I, I remember when I was growing up and thinking, oh, you know, this, I thought asking the question, uh, what's the meaning of life was just this perennial question that philosophers have been grappling with since the beginning, mm. but they haven't. Like, you don't find it in Aristotle. You don't find it in Aquinas. You don't find it in Augustine. Mm. Like they, that's not the categories that they're working. Yeah. Um, it, it's a term that arose uh, to, to an extent out of a rejection of uh, ethics and of mm. notions like purpose and morality and so on so for the individual. Yeah. And so it seems weird to me to read this baggage that we have back into someone who was even before Aristotle around the same time as Aristotle in a different yeah. world uh, setting. So at the outset, I would prefer to find a word that um, captures what you're trying to get across with words like absurd and meaningless without any of the existentialist baggage that comes with it. Yeah. What do you think? It's also very difficult to connect something like absurd with mist. Yeah, that's in a good point. Yeah, yeah, we've kind of moved absurd. beyond the... Um, the metaphor a bit too far at that point. Yeah. yeah. In what sense is mist meaningless? I mean, you can sort of get there by taking a few steps. So something is, um, mist, something might be insubstantial in that mist might be insubstantial in that it lacks substance, which you can sort of extend to it lacks meaning in that it lacks, um, a sort of Con- like full clear content. substance. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but because, first of all, because you have to take that extra step, it's, it, to me, that seems like a step away, mm. an extra step away from the root phenomena that you're deriving this from. Yeah, even, the, I mean, the idea of absurd, like the mist itself isn't absurd. Like you're absurd, if anything, you're the one who's absurd for trying to contain the mist or something. Right. Right. Yeah. But that's not, Khaled isn't saying necessarily, <laughs> sometimes he is, but he's not necessarily saying like, you're absurd. He's saying like, reality is Hevel. Hevel yeah. is in reality, and that impacts our uh, yeah. thing. So we're not quite getting at what he's getting at when we when we draw attention to that. Yeah. Um, and then if we were to sort of reverse engineer that, if somebody was looking for a metaphor or something was looking toward the, you know, looking out to the world to try and find something to explain meaningless, it just isn't clear to me that that mist would be the thing that you'd go to. No. Surely, it, like, it, 
perhaps it's um, difficult to understand. Yeah. But we've got we've got better words for that, like yeah. um, enigmatic. Enigmatic. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Um, illusion. Uh, illusion. Elusive. Obscure. Yeah. yeah. Um, meaningless just doesn't seem to be the natural one that the the kind of natural correspondent. Yeah. That seems like a strange way of saying it. Yeah. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, like if. If you were looking to miss, then surely something like enigmatic would be better fit if that was the sort of, if those were the sorts of connotations you were trying to draw out. Mm, mm. Okay. So that, okay. So those are the main ones in offer. Mm. Um, I think you and I actually arrived at fairly similar, um, again, quite independently of each other. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so when I first, mm, not first, (laughs) The like sixth time I was looking at this book, <laughs> I think the the word that aro- arose to me is not it's good in the sense that I think it captures really well what Kohelet is trying to get at. It's bad in the sense that it's not a very common word that people use. Um, so the word I like is intractable, hmm. intractability. Um, we use this a lot in maths and computer science. Talk about problems that are difficult to get a handle on, um, or we can't come up with an, a, a, a practical solution for, or you know, mm. that, that we can't make, make a computer run in, an, in a reasonable amount of time to solve kind of thing. And yeah. so the problem is intractable. Mm. We can't like, um, well, we can't gain traction on it. Yeah. That's, that's the main sense. We can't yeah. grasp at it, um, whether it be intellectually or like take hold of it. Um, and so that's the word I, I, uh, I gravitate towards when I think about mm. uh, Hevel. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you pick, and I've tested this with people, if you pick like 10 people and you say, what does the word intractable mean? Maybe one of them is going to be able to tell you, sure. give you a sense vaguely within the ballpark. That was our experience when you introduced the idea to me. <laughs> like, you're like, I think intractable. It's like, okay, cool. What does that what mean? Intractable? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not super helpful in the sense that it's not great to int- to explain one obscure word with another obscure word. Right. Um, although the one advantage is that you can type the word intractable into your like Oxford English Dictionary app yes. and it'll give you a definition, whereas you can't do that with Hevel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so not, not far removed from that, I've preferred ungraspable or elusive. Elusive, yeah. So I, I particularly like elusive, but, um, but that notion of ungraspability is, is sort of what... I think fits quite well with what what Kohelet's trying to do. That it's something that you can't either can't get a handle on in the first place, or if you can, it still slips through your fingers. Yeah. So you can't keep a grasp on it. I really like that idea of that you highlight. Like I never really thought of it like that, but it's like it's like if oh man, it's like if you if you blew the air out right when it's cold, mm. and it's like okay, now there's this ball in the in the air in front of you, and then you try to try to hold it like you would hold a tennis ball or a basketball or something. Yeah. Then like your hands go right through it. Yeah. And like, that's exactly the sort of thing. It's like, it appears to be something, but as soon as you try to go for it and like take it and, and contain it somehow, mm. it's not there. It like, it, it disappears as you, as you get close to it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's a really cool, I, I th- and that fits, I think he's, he's going for something, he's pursuing something and he's, he's getting frustrated because like no matter what he no matter how he tries to get at it whenever he gets close enough it's just, it just doesn't seem to be there anymore and he's like yeah. what the heck is going on here like it's so irritating so there's a great quote from Stuart Weeks who um he doesn't actually go with elusive he goes with illusion um and oh, kind of elusive t- not elusive 
Yeah. Okay. So he attaches he attaches some other connotations to that, which um, we'll leave aside for the moment. But um, but he's got this great quote that I think really gets at um, Kohelet's enterprise and um, and really does well to recommend elusive as what um, Hevel might mean. Um, what we want, we cannot get, and all that we achieve is ours only in passing. When we leave the world, we go as we came, and all our works slip between our fingers. As though we were grasping at air. Mm. I just think that that yeah. really hits the nail on the head. That's good, yeah. And that I think that what's interesting is that you can see where the, the nice thing about that approach is that it explains why sometimes transient math thick like works, yeah. and other times vain works, mm. but neither of them works like for all the cases. Yeah, because it's not necessarily either of those even though that those sometimes might be the consequence or the the result that comes from from this elusiveness or this yeah ungraspability unhandle unhandleability no, <laughs> that, that's not great <laughs> intractability yeah um yeah so okay so that's our recommendation yeah is uh intractability elusiveness ungraspability um so i think before we close although we could we probably should close this episode uh is is a question of well, what's the name we give then to the thing that he's trying to grasp? Because mm. he doesn't give a word to it. Yeah. He he kind of gives, you can infer what he's trying to go for based on his recounting of his failed uh, attempts, mm. right? Um, and, but he never really gives a word to it. He's he, he's happy to give yeah. a word to Hevel and then move on. In one sense, in one sense he does. Oh yeah? Um, so in 1 verse 3, what profit... Mm. is there for anyone in all the labors at which they labor under the sun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in some sense, profit is is the thing that he's getting at. But um, profit, I think, in our minds has has a bit more of a narrower connotation to it. Um, yeah. It's got like a, a, a very, very much a business sort of context. Yeah. Um, with a business set of connotations. That, like a physical thing that you could gain. Yeah. Like wealth or... Um, prosperity or something yeah which might be some of what Kohala's talking about yeah but it certainly seems to go beyond that so um as a starting point it sort of gestures towards what Kohala might be going for but yeah. i think we need a broader catch-all term for for what he's what he's after yeah the thing that uh strikes me is in 1 verse 13 he says he uses two uh, two other descriptions he says i sought out searched out by wisdom all that is done under heaven mm. and then it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Yeah. And then in chapter three, he says that again, he says, I've seen the busyness that man, that God has given man to be busy with, which is like very general, right? It's like, what are we supposed to be doing here? Right. Um, yeah. I kind of like purpose or something like he's, he's definitely got yeah. some people I've heard people talk about or wonder whether Kohelet is like taking a secular outlook on things. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think you can say that like from the beginning, he's very clear that God is in control and he's, yeah. even when he's very unhappy, he's like, well, this is what God has given to us to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but that's a very broad outlook. Like, what are we supposed to be doing here? Which I could kind of see why people go for the meaning, meaningless aspect there, because it's like, people ask that question, like, what's the meaning of life? Yeah. Promise. We asked that question. We asked that question, exactly. Uh, that's a very modern question. Uh, so, yeah, I think both you and I are happy to talk about happiness as the goal. Yeah. 
um, largely because I think we've been influenced by the Greek philosophers. <laughs> and this is just a word that they gave um, to this very thing. It's like, what are humans supposed to be doing? Mm. Like, what is the thing we're supposed to be doing that is like the fulfillment of our life as humans? Now, they obviously thought about that in a different way. They didn't have this notion of a uh, of God in the way that the, 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 he- the Hebrews did. Mm. Um, so we don't want to, you know, muddy the waters too much. But I think happiness as a word for that is a pretty good one, as long as we understand that it's it's more of a question than it is an answer. So, yeah. yeah. And it's not as simple as just kind of keep a smile on your face. Yes. Like happiness has taken a bit more technical meaning there. Yeah, happiness is that thing that we should pursue that we are seeking to understand. Mm. You know, like we're seeking to figure out what that is exactly. Yeah. So if you think of Aristotle, he's like, happiness is the that which we desire for its own sake and never for the sake of something else. Mm. And he's like, and then he goes on to say, what well, is that wealth? Is that honor? Is that pleasure? Mm. Is that this or that or whatever? Um, and so I think if we think of Kahele doing the same thing where he's like, I'm trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing here. So I'm look, so we could say, okay, I'm looking for what happiness is, but I don't know how we're supposed to grasp it. Yeah. Um, it seems ungraspable. So it's really irritating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I think we're in the in the sort of the right mindset to understand what's coming next. Yeah. So let's end it there. So um, thanks for joining us for this episode, this first episode in Ecclesiastes. Um, please uh, join us for the future episodes where we continue through this journey that Kahelet is taking us on. Um, we can assure you it won't be a vain pursuit. It won't be a. <laughs> Uh, what's, what are the things they have to do? Don't like and like and subscribe. Uh, subscribe wherever you want to listen to podcasts or on YouTube if you're watching the video. Give us and a rating. Give us a rating. Um, a good rating <laughs> if that uh, if that suits you. Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't, maybe don't leave us maybe the rating. Don't leave- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. it, would, it would help others to find this podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us.